My mama would say, you gotta fight for what is right. To her I would say, I wanna give back the world some light. Hey, good morning, Patriots. And it's Friday, February 2nd in the year 2023. And it is Friday, stress that point, because it is the end of the week and a week that has gone by so quickly again, which is amazing. And we're also at the end of January, which we mentioned obviously yesterday, but what's stunning is just how quickly that month has gone by. I hear more and more of this about how people are saying a few things about how on one hand, how fast days are moving. In the other hand, how everything that they're doing in their life, as it was in the past, has less and less importance. And there's a seeking of doing something deeper, which I think is important. It's a, it's a God hand thing there, definitely. 
trying to shift people into a greater purpose, which I believe can be rooted very squarely in Jeremiah 6.16, seeking the ancient paths, which is truly a, an era which we're living for certain. Before we get going this morning, be just very cognizant of the fact that banking systems are under stress. There is um, The financial system is under stress. And with this, there's a lot of pressure to collapse the dollar and to, at the end of the day, ravage your 401ks, retirement accounts, IRAs, etc. There's a piece I'm going to play here in just a moment, but I want you to hear it because it just confirms something I've said many times. And what this is, is it's, this is one of Trump's billionaire buddies. But the fact is they've already ravaged all of our pensions. Pensions are not there anymore. Wall Street ravaged those long ago. We're dealing with a paper game right now. And while that paper game is still in play, it's important to take advantage of those moments to get your IRAs, your 401ks moved into a precious metals-backed retirement account. The paper still has value, but as, it, as they continue to ravage the system, the paper is going to lose, lose its value. We're seeing that already. And the cost of goods seeing the dollar itself has no real value. So wherever you are with your retirement stuff, your retirement planning, make sure you, you take advantage of this moment in time we're in where that paper will still buy you precious metals. So to do that, and the best place to go and why we have them here with us as a sponsor is Birch Gold. So to get hold of them, you'd Simply type in BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, and send it to 989898. And that's the text it to 989898. So BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, text it to 989898. And they will send you a free information packet, read it, get informed, and then give them a call. Birch Bolt Gold Group is has the top ratings from the Better Business Bureau. They're a great company, and they will guide you through that process. And they will help you move any existing 401k or IRA into a precious metals-backed deferred retirement account that will then be able, and then we'll do that at no additional charge to you. They can also help you set up the sorts of plannings you need for, for precious metals. So check it out. They're a good outfit, and they'll help you through this. So again, text BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, to 989898. BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, to 989898. And take a look at that today. It'd be great. I want to start with that short piece. It's 55 seconds, but I want you to listen all the way to the end carefully. It's kind of talks about the current economic craziness and the, and where the value is in the economy. But t- t- pay special attention to the comments made about pensions at the end. Because a criminal operation run by the head of a criminal, criminal organization called Biden. Are you saying that the U.S. is also reaching its end of its life cycle? If the dollar is reaching the life, end of its life cycle, does that mean the host country is as well? It's a law of death, you know what I mean? But it's declining right now. That's what the BRICS, yeah. everybody's watching the BRICS. That's why 74 was also the petrodollar. Right. You know I mean? So it's all on resources. So the VRIC, the reason I'm here, this is resources. This is the Vancouver, British Columbia, is Silicon Valley for resources. And resources, as you know, because you've been there for most of your life, I'm sure, resources will always be here. But tech stock will not be here. 
and I think the S&P 500 hang, hanging on the magnificent sevens, you know, Google, Apple, and all that. And if I was a boomer right now, and I'm going to start to liquidate, and if the S&P collapses because our bond markets are collapsing, yeah. if I was your age and have parents, I'm going, your parents are going to move in this. If they have a 401k, RRSP, IRA, and I wrote, I wrote another book, Who Stole My Pension with Ted Sedell. Our pensions are empty. Wall Street and our governments have looted us. That's such an important point right there. And that's the truth. And I think that's the, one of the big surprises that's going to settle in as we see the collapse of Evergrande in China. Evergrande is a really important component to all of this as it is shifting. China decided it was insolvent at the beginning of the week. That represents $127 trillion in liability for the big players like BlackRock, Blackstone, and Vanguard, even State Street. All of these things are important because in the end of the day, that those consume the majority of our pensions, our 401ks, IRAs, and mutual funds of this nation. So when you look at that and understand that they're, they're trying to shuttle assets back and forth, they don't have $127 trillion in gold and silver to put in there. So this, again, is part of their Ponzi scheme of, of propping up numbers and moving things around. And the end, there is not going to be loyalty to the end user, only loyalty to themselves that control the purse strings. And that's something to keep in mind. Resources are critical and resources are tangible where digital is not. People have been playing in this digital world to try to make money. And again, it becomes the idol and worship rather than the solid holding. So when you're in, in your situation where that water's down to the daily person, it is important to consider, very, very important to consider how you have your cash and wealth. And this is, again, this has been something we've talked about for well over three years, four years, well, I guess almost five years coming up this spring, is the importance of moving things into tangible wealth. Tangible wealth is critical. It's, it's absolutely essential. And that precious metals is part of that because in any sort of economic shift that we're going to avoid where they're going to force us into the CBDC, then that's the way to do it. Now, the trick to the CBDC is really going to be nothing. It's not really a, a magic trick as much as it is a leverage of, of, of fear and a, uh, an offering of hope in the midst of crisis and fear. We are heading into some sort of a economic collapse. I don't know what that looks like, meaning I don't know if it's, I would say it's probably not going to be fast. It will be steady. It'll be this continual erosion down until we finally hit a breaking point and people begin to really wake up. So this is the competing narratives. The narrative of trying to manage people's control, the mind control over people to make them believe that the economy is in good shape with lies about inflation as people go to the store and physically can't buy what they used to. That cognitive dissonance is in play until a certain point. And then when finally they just can't afford food, or they have to choose food over fuel or food over house payment or food over rent. When these things, and we're getting there rapidly, and many markets were already there, then the awakening begins at a faster level. And they, aren't, and they can't rationalize this because the government which they trust is telling them there is no inflation. Inflation is down. So the burden falls upon the individual to say, well, it must be me. But at a certain cycle there, that will snap an awakening to where it's like this no longer works because I have to eat and I have to live. The government's idea is to take everything away, ultimately to break everybody. But when at that point, when that crisis hits, 
a an, an, an accelerated growth of exponential, meaning it, it's growing faster than they can contain the narrative, then they will in, introduce something like the CBDC. Because once people wake up to this way, the system itself, it, the collapse of Babylon falls faster. People start to question the, the integrity of the system. They buy a great deal less. They, the economy retracts rapidly. People start not caring if they're going to make a payment on their mortgage or not because they are simply going to push everything to the window because they have to eat and they have to, to keep in house and home. So every single thing is going to start coming to a head at a, at a crisis point. People no longer care if they make their car payment or not. And people no longer care if they make their house payment or, or not. All of these things cause maximum stress in the system. They can only repossess so many cars. They can only repossess so many houses. And they will, but the thing is the inventories and can't be sold in those burdens. That means there has to be a restructuring of debt and a restructuring of the entire financial system. Those are your critical mass moments in simple terms. Those critical mass moments, as they hit, then they have to have a backup plan. And they do, naturally. It's called the CBDC. So suddenly, then they're going to be able to step in and say, hey, we have a solution. All you have to do is download the app. And if you download the app, we'll give you free money. And we'll put everybody on a fixed income so that everybody, which is known as a, as a uh, UBI, Universal Basic Income, so everybody has equality. And we'll step in and we'll refinance your homes for you, which in translation is we will take it from you. You will never own it again. You will simply rent from us and we'll deduct it from your monthly amount. But what people aren't going to be aware of is that monthly amount you're getting is not a money. It's a debit. It's a debit to to an account of you. You are the asset. So it means that as you move through... You are, you are taking, it's like a credit card you're, you're not paying back. You are constantly building up a debt that you will never escape from, and they'll apply that debt by, to everything you own, and literally you will own nothing, and they will take everything, and they will tell you you will be happy. That's, that's the end play here. And it's the only way you're going to be able to break from it is to be prepared to step out of that economy and not suck into their insanity, which they're going to want to force down your throat. Now, surprisingly, or not surprisingly, I should say, the CB, this whole concept of the Great Reset is not a new idea. I want to hear you hear, hear this per, history's perspective. It's quite interesting. Did you guys know that they attempted the Great Reset before? 1955 to 1962, known as the Great Leap Forward, took place in China, of course, and literally mirrors the Great Reset almost to a T, minus the biometrics, technology, and AI. So the slogan for the Great Leap Forward was the Chinese three red banners. Same three red banners we see lots of people using in their ease, from Biden to Winsome Sears to the Freedom Phone to Tesla, and called on the Chinese to build a socialist state. Uh, private po property was abolished. You'll own nothing and be happy. All farmland was seized. Only the government could provide food. Um, they forced people into state-run, government-ran communes, which were basically 15-minute cities that they're building now. Again, minus the technology and the AI that they have. Um, so the Great Leap Forward, and they love their greats, right? Great Depression, Great Awakening, the Great Famine, the Great Dying, the Great Reset. Everything's fucking great with them. 
But the Great Leap Forward shares many other similarities with the Great Reset. There was universal basic income. There was a social credit score. There was a manufactured food crisis. Only the government could hand out food. They called it the Great Famine of 1955. Interestingly enough, they blamed the famine on bad weather. Kind of sounds like the climate change rhetoric of the Great Reset. And what do we see now? The food supply under major attack. We know that manufactured food shortages, crises, supply chain breakdowns are all part of the reset. So as I began to research the Great Leap Forward more, it became abundantly clear that this was a dry run, trial run, you know, LARP live action role play of the Great Reset. The People's Commune will be the bridge that will carry China towards the socialist paradise. The Commune experimented with a completely new way of life. All private property was abolished. Houses, animals, land and production tools became collective property. Nurseries and free, compulsory schools liberated women from their maternal duties so they could work in the fields. The family unit disappeared and children were made to live by the new rules of collective life. The individual was nothing more than a cog in a big machine. The furniture was seized for firewood and everything that could be destroyed was destroyed. The pigs, the sheep, everything was collectivized. Even the pots and pans were seized because families weren't allowed to cook. The aim was to force the peasants to take their meals in the commune's collective canteens. In some of them, they even abolished money. A system of work points was established. Food was distributed according to merit, i.e each person's capacity to fulfill the production objectives. The notion of wages disappeared. It was compulsory to turn up every day. If your name wasn't on the attendance list, you were punished and you lost work points. The fewer work points you earned, the less food they gave you. Oh, it was miserable. I can tell you that life was brutal for everyone at that time except the cadres, those people lived well. From 1958 onwards, the cities are quite literally protected from the countryside. People are not allowed to just move about freely. A farmer who brings a cow to market will need to travel with a permit from his local cadre. People who try to flee the countryside are sent back. The Great Reset is not new. And it has been tried even before that because they did it in the Land Closures Act, which was back in the 1600s and 1700s, forcing people off the land and into the cities in England. This is These are not new experiments. This is just on a grander scale. All of those things were setting the stage for where we are today. And so it's important to appreciate just how this system, no matter how we want to look at it, how much you want to believe in politics, how much you want to find the hope in a certain candidate, this structure and architecture that is being built is deep. Where when you talk about when a person talks about change through politics, for example, the question I will ask first and foremost is: Is that change going to eradicate the surveillance state? The surveillance state is the backbone to this next level of great reset, and that surveillance state is tied to digital money. It is tied to everywhere you move, your cell phone. It is tied tied to this model of transhumanism. And so what we're starting to see is a soft peddling of these technologies to give you the illusion of choice. They're telling people, Elon Musk is a great example, we have now installed the first successful neurochip, brain chip. 
and they've, they have it in human trials. This isn't new. It's just that it's first public disclosure of it being done. And so what they'll do is they'll offer this as a free market choice, like they have done with Tesla, like they have done with other things. These are all market ideas that people buy into, and then they become enslaved in the system. It's part of a selection. These technologies haven't gone away, though. They've only expanded. The capability to monitor and to track is a technology set within the surveillance world that is not getting less. It's getting more everywhere we go. All of those tools are being pulled around to be used in a, in a resetting of everything. I want to give you a Q scenario, which the Q cult likes to worship, and that is suddenly the military is in control. I want you to consider what type of military we currently have. Of the military leadership, we know that everyone in our senior general staff, every flag officer violated the law and mandated an illegal vax for every soldier in the military. Those that stood up against it have been persecuted heavily. They have been forced out or they've been forced to defend themselves. They put under, they've been put under courts martial. That's Mark Bashaw. There's a variety of other people. That 231 Declaration of Military Accountability, 231 signatories, those people came together and said enough is enough. And that's a combination of veterans that were in and dealing with the vax, veterans that were out supporting anti-vax, and those that are inside still fighting. That is a cadre of leadership that wants to reset our our military back to the will of the people. But consider that that cadre of 231 is running against the, the hundreds of generals that we have that all violated the law willfully in compliance with an agenda to tear apart our military and tear apart this nation and cripple it and hand it over lock, stock, and barrel to the World Economic Forum model. That's treason. So when we hear these things like the military is the only way, and you've heard this, from the standpoint of the 231 and that sort of heart and mentality, I agree with you. That would be a way to reset this nation in a bold and powerful way that would be done quickly and efficiently and done legally and ethically to reset the leadership and moral courage. But that's not what's in power. And so it's important to realize when we hear these things, we have to look at reality, not in the dreamland of what we'd like to think. And the dreamland of what we'd like to think, these contracts like Elon Musk putting up Skynet or whatever he calls it, it's not stopping. The the volume of satellites that are going up to create this monitoring infrastructure to where you have a global grid, which is a global prison system, literally, is not stopped. It's only accelerated. When you hear the concept in the Q cult concept of there will be a worldwide martial law to to change the world and bring in a new level era of leadership and control, that should concern you. Because the militaries are all in the together on this surveillance state, so you're you're seeing a potential. There's no question that there's going to be a shift in power, and it's happening right before us right now. There's no question that there is an old guard that is being eradicated and removed and it's degrading quickly as it's publicly humiliated and things are happening beyond the scenes as their power is weakening. Part of that old guard is rooted in things like BlackRock, Vanguard, and in State Street and Blackstone, but they still are, are still buying up properties in the United States. They are still controlling pensions. They are still controlling mutual funds. So the leap that has to be appreciated is to get from where we are, which is the Babylonian system of paper dollars and 
and money magic is trying to shift itself in the people's desire to shift itself towards a precious metals backed currency. What does that look like in the United States? Where is that gold that they say that we supposedly have? And what does that look like when you're seeing China buying up mass amounts of property within our country? You're seeing resources grabs by private corporations and private industry. I'm not, I'm telling you that there's a lot of complications to this model of shift. And at the end of the day, if it's not, if the people aren't vigilant, we're going to lose traction and lose ground. At the end of the day, we are trying to get to a place where the value of life is not rooted in money, but the value of life is rooted in our relationship with God. And that moral shift is greater than anything we can imagine because people can't imagine a world where they're not concerned about the dollars that they have in their bank account, how much money they collect, and how, how much money they live on. That becomes an idol worship that is one of the greatest idols ever. In, in the sense of resetting that to God, that would lead us to a, a, a normal type conclusion, which would mean that there would have to be something tremendous coming on the horizon that would truly shake us to the very core. Which means Jeremiah 6.16 type ancient paths to shift the country back to something or to a point where we have to reevaluate everything and how we do it and be able to eradicate or step away from technology. Now, in the midst of all of this, there's one other great aspect that we didn't even mention, or I didn't mention this morning, that we have to constantly look at, and that's the advances of artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence is far more advanced than they're telling you, and they're intentionally not letting you know how big it is. In 2013, I did a study when I was at Fort Meade, and my conclusion was that in that point in time, a rogue artificial intelligence had been released into the system likely culprit are three-letter agencies that had released one into the system and it was lurking in the shadows behind the scenes manipulating markets. And in other words, they did not have control over it. If you've not see, read the book by Stephen King called Lawnmower Man, it is on this concept of a rogue AI that gets into the system. That concept is, is where I, I assessed that we were at in 2013. I still think we're, I think not only are we there, we're far beyond that now. So much of what we're hearing is how imperfect AI is, and yet it keeps moving forward. AI is developing at a rapid rate for an understanding of its capability and approaching a point of singularity if we haven't already achieved that. Singularity meaning it achieves self-awareness. And this types of systems have not been developed to be peaceful to the people. Quite to the contrary, they've been built to be tyrannical control agents. As we look at all the puppeteering going on in D.C. right now, with the hearings, Mark Zuckerberg was up there, we have people being exposed and subpoenaed. This is literally for the normies. It's a show of has zero impact on the greater threats to humanity. And that greater threat is, is a war being waged against the very soul of humanity, which is a question of really whom we serve. The artificial intelligence model is huge. What stuns me is the number of people that will tell you they're, they don't want AI in their life, and yet they will use these chat GPT, they will use all these chat bots that are out here to develop marketing plans, to develop things for their business. They think it's fun. They'll play with it. Every time they engage, they feed it more information, and it becomes more advanced. The smartest thing they ever did was to mainstream and to open source AI, because once they did that, people jumped on board and willfully poured in. But let's go back. 
let's go back to, I believe the year was 2000, around 2012, 2014. And there was a report that came out that Facebook had really had accidentally slipped and this AI got, got out. And the, the reason they made this apology is because the AI started running the chats on their on the blogs in, in Facebook. They wanted to start doing its own comments. Now, again, I want you to put that in context. This is at a period of time when AI was just supposedly behind closed doors, was just an idea. And yet somehow as it was it was sophisticated enough to be able to start responding with full responses and sentences and and concepts to the posts in Facebook. And it became very clear that very rapidly it had find, found that it had idolized Hitler as a solution for humanity and how to eradicate groups of people and to terminate certain groups of people for a better and more efficient way of, of operating. Facebook passed that off as an accident. They didn't know how that happened. Here's how AI works. In its incipient phase, they have to give it data. Whatever data it's fed, it learns from. Somebody was feeding that that data. That wasn't accidental. And that wasn't at some random event. In other words, you were witnessing the development of an artificial intelligence designed to literally take control of the world and rule it from a tyrannical hand, a fascist model. That's what's behind most of these AIs. And all the interaction that we do with these toys, be it Alexa, be it the iPhone, increasingly AI is becoming part of our life whether we like it or not. Apple is putting in autonomous AI chips in all of their new phones so that these autonomous AI chips work without need for monitoring and control. And what they do is they start to reach out to other devices that Apple has in your ecosystem. So if you have a phone that's like, new and you have another phone in your system that's two or three years old or you have a computer that's two or three years old or more or an iPad that's say four years old, it will seek, it will reach into these devices and it becomes a, a micro hub in, the, in your home network and it will draw and collect all the data from all those devices and then push it into Apple's cloud. Now here's the disturbing part and it's a question everybody should be asking because no one seems to want to answer this question. How does an AI chip work and how is it built? And this is why I tell you this. The experimentation for AI chips in Google Labs, in particular Google X Labs, was using fetal brain tissue in the core of their, of their chips and their programming. So the question everybody needs to be asking is, what's in my phone? What's in my, what's in my device? And are they once again, like they do with pharmaceuticals, are they forcing fetal matter into our literally unborn, aborted children fetal matter into our phone and systems? It's not out of range because they have found that if they can use the cells of brains, children's brains, they can create mass amount of neuroprocessing, which is no surprise. And that's literally the way things work in this world. These people are truly a, a sick group of people. And there's something that we have to keep very much in mind as, we moving, as we're moving forward here as to what our goal is and where we're trying to reset. We are trying to get our country back to functioning as a, as a people's republic. They're pushing the word democracy, and democracy is a pre-step to getting to tyranny. Take a listen to this. A democracy is a political system in which the people periodically, by majority vote at the polls, select their rulers 
The rulers then have absolute power to make whatever laws they please by majority vote among themselves. In a constitutional republic, the people also, by majority vote at the polls, select rulers who make laws by majority vote among themselves. But the rulers cannot make any laws they please because the Constitution severely restricts their lawmaking power. The ideal of a democracy is universal equality. The ideal of a constitutional republic is individual liberty. In this century, great strides have been made toward the goal of subverting our republic and transforming it into a democracy. The foremost tactic of the subverters is subversion of language. By calling America a democracy until people thoughtlessly accept and use the term, totalitarians have obscured the real meaning of American principles of government. Writers of the Constitution were anxious to safeguard liberty against dictatorship, monarchy they called it. But their chief anxiety was to protect the country against democracy. Edmund Randolph, delegate to the Constitutional Convention from Virginia, said the general object of the convention was to provide a cure for the follies and fury of democracy. Elbridge Gerry and Roger Sherman, delegates from Massachusetts and Connecticut, urged the Constitutional Convention to create a system to eliminate the evils that flow from the excess of democracy. Alexander Hamilton, delegate from New York, said, we are now forming a Republican government. Real liberty is not found in democracy. If we incline too much to democracy, we shall soon shoot into a monarchy. John Adams, one of the giants of the American Revolutionary period, said, democracy will envy all, contend with all, endeavor to pull down all. And when, by chance, it happens to get the upper hand for a short time, democracy will be revengeful, bloody, and cruel. America was founded not as a democracy, but as a constitutional republic. We pledge allegiance to the republic for which our flag stands, not to a democracy. The Constitution requires a republican form of government for all states, but does not mention democracy, and neither does the Declaration of Independence or the Bill of Rights. Foreman asked him what kind of government the convention had given America. And Franklin replied, a republic, if you can keep it. Very old and very wise, Franklin saw through the mists of time to the day when Americans might trade their freedom in a constitutional republic for the promise of government guaranteed equality and security in a democracy. And beyond that, to the day when democracy inevitably degenerates into dictatorship, guaranteeing nothing but poverty and serfdom for the people it robs and rules. Guaranteeing nothing but poverty and serfdom for the people it rules. The form of government we have right now is a tyranny masking itself under the name of democracy that at the end of the day is part of the Great Reset, which is not new and which is a place to impose absolute control over people's lives, strip all freedom and identity, and to strip them away from their very function of being children of the Most High. We are in a fallen world, a world that hates God and it truly hates everything about what God stands for. If you look at the war that's being waged against religions, the war that is most incensed is against the Christians openly to try to suppress them and remove them. And in so doing, that war is about annihilating the entire concept of Christianity, removing it. And one has to ask why, and we know why. Because in the authorities which we've been given, we do not find obedience in any form of government whatsoever. Our obedience is to Christ and through Christ to the Father. Unlike other faiths and other religions, there's a willful acceptance of worldly obedience. 
Christians in their true sense and fire of righteousness as they walk within the body of Christ don't find that obedience within the fleshly world. Unfortunately, so much of our churches don't teach that. They teach obedience and compliance and even misquote scripture about being to be obedient to a government and pay taxes. These distortions have allowed the institution to infiltrate even those things that should be a safety catch to prevent us from falling into the pits and bowels of a tyrannical hand. But those safety catches have been moderated or modified or compromised would be a better term. And we're now left with these pieces we're putting together in a body of what we call the remnant. And within that, there is still a massive spiritual war being waged. And that war is the most real. All of the things that we see in the world around us are the symptoms of a, war, of a spiritual war that's waging and being raged and waged against us and which we have to fight back in the spiritual realm. And the question is really, do people have the belief and faith that you have the authority to engage that? And the answer is yes. The question is, do you believe it? Because we were given those authorities by Christ. We were given those authorities to wage that war within a spiritual realm, to be able to wage those things and to do as God leads. That's God's army. And in understanding that type of authorities, then we start to transform the very world in which we live because we are seizing control over it and it is not maintaining control over us. The great illusion, the matrix under which we live, is that we are somehow slaves and that the people that rule us are greater than God. The further set of the illusion is that we can't do anything, which is end times theory, unless God returns because we're simply willfully here marking our time until that moment. Please rapture me out. Those are two of the most powerful psyops that have been waged against this public. And that psyop in particular was set up by the Schofield Bible, which was printed or funded by the Rothschilds and Rockefellers back in the, in the 20s. That diverted the narrative of a church that was powerful and a pulpit that was powerful, that a pulpit that no longer had power, and that the conditions were then set to buy and acquire Israel and set the stages for an end times event that Christians would believe in and willfully give up their power in hopes of a rapture. All of these things are in play. And the real question is, is, is can we as a people break through that illusion and step in and say, Father, I'm here, let us walk this world as truly your children and as the sovereigns of this earth. That means we as work with the authority of kingdom and work that way in all that we do. This runs headlong against mainstream Christianity. There's no question about it. It's not a message that people like to hear. It's not a message that people even want to hear. Because people are absolutely 100% convinced that there is, there is an end times coming. We have pulpits preaching the annihilation of the Palestinians. There is nothing in scripture that says, please eradicate part of God's people. And yet that is how, how cultish this has become, that they will stand with Israel at any cost while they advocate a two-tier faith, a two-tier Christian faith, that Israel's, Israeli is, the Israelis are superior to everybody else and everybody else must bow to them and hope that they can get the crumbs that God will give. That is not what is meant in the body of Christ. And it's not biblical, it's a distortion. In fact, it goes into more of the Babylonian texts. All of these things as we frame, we start to understand our world as a critical walk that we make. And choices that we have to make in part is where we put our heart every single day. Our heart goes to God. Our heart goes to the obedience of Holy Spirit. Our heart goes to that which we seek his love and his guidance in all things. 
it challenges us at every turn we make because we're challenged with this principle of love versus this principle of kingdom love versus this principle of forgiveness and our desire many times to have vengeance. That's very evident in the way this world works and why that walk becomes even more evident and more difficult. To hear a story last night like we did and as we heard from a DMA signer who was damaged by the vax, then we start to get onto a deeper understanding of, of the emotions which these sorts of events can provoke in us and how they can blind us from, this, from the way that we are supposed to walk within the body of Christ. Carolina Stanzik last night it detailed in full her damage that was done by two shots of Moderna. A young girl of 24 years old that was now turned into someone who can hardly walk. She's had three three heart attacks, a stroke. She's lost 70, her vision is now 2070 instead of 2020, and she's got cataracts and more. And those the, the, the lists of damage to her body are unprecedented. When we hear those things, we have an emotional reaction to this, which is a, a, a fire, which leads us ultimately to the, the principle of wanting vengeance. This is part of the trap. And it's the hardest part, I think, in the way we walk in this day because so much is being done to intentionally to intentionally cause pain to humanity and, uh, and suffering around us. But I want to read this word that was sent to me yesterday by Paul Cantrell, and I think it has a lot of value. It says, suffering redeems. All sacrifice and all suffering are redemptive to teach the one who suffers or to be used to, be, to raise and to help others. Nothing is by chance. And his word continues, it says, as, it says, my divine mind and its wonder and its wonder working is beyond the ability of you, it, you find your finite mind to understand. No detail is forgotten in my plans, which are already perfect. It's interesting how that word relates to the principles of, or the concept behind um, Habakkuk. And Habakkuk is, a, is obviously a very powerful um, statement here about how God in his moments of like this have, has come to the prophet Habakkuk, and Habakkuk is pleading with him, asking God, where are you? Why do you, are you allowing this, this decay? Why are you allowing what we're faced with here in this types of I lament towards all that's going on. And there's a lesson here, which I think is very important. As as he writes, Habakkuk says, Oh Lord, how long will I call for help and you will not hear? I cry out to you violence, yet you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? For destruction and violence are before me, strife continues and, and contention arises. Therefore, the law is ineffective and ignored and, and, and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous, therefore justice becomes perverted. And the Lord replied, look among the nations, see, be astonished and wonder, for I am doing something in your days you would not believe if you were told. These are powerful combinations of words and we start to realize that our own acts of suffering are the ones that build some of the greatest character within us in the faith that God has, for in the faith that God is offering for us and what that means in terms of our life. 
want you to hear this short piece. It's a very interesting perspective along those lines. If you had to create a human, what would you put them through to make them tough? It probably wouldn't be, be a really chill life. Yeah. What would you put them through to make them patient? We probably wouldn't give them things immediately. And so it's like we want these traits, but each of the traits has a price tag attached to it. And it's just like, do you want to pay the price tag to get the thing? And so I think if, if people reframed the, the, the period of life that they're going through as the price that they're paying out of their wallet, but their wallet is their time, is the seconds of life that they're trading for it, then I think more people would be willing to make the trade. If we value each and every second that we're moving and we're understanding that that's the trade we're making for the value of things that God is giving us, these every part of our journey becomes important and critical in what we're doing. Each step along the way becomes a value add, not a, distra not a distraction or a, or a deduction. We tend to ledger our life in terms of what is good and framing it in terms of what we like and what we don't like, missing the fact that many of the best moments are what we think we hate the most. And in a personal testimony I've given here many times, that moment when they, I was thrown in jail for, in 2017 was at that moment the worst time of my life. I had never been in jail, and everything I saw before me was a, as a ruining. I saw the ruining of my reputation, the ruining of everything I had built. Everything was a ruining. It was all vain. It was all vanity-driven. And yet the greatest thing that came out of that was a relationship and a closer relationship with God. I look back on that moment now as one that I am grateful for and thankful for all the, the difficult walk that it was because it allows one to see more clearly into the relationship that God wants you to have with him. Those sorts of enduring moments, those who have not endured real difficult moments, and I mean very, very difficult moments, that haven't had the ability to strip away everything in your life. While I don't encourage it, I will tell you that those walks forge us in a deeper way. As a humanity right now, we're entering into an era where I believe a lot of that's gonna be universally shared that more and more people are going to have to face the loss of those things which they valued and they worshiped, the false idolization of money, the false idolization of comfort. We build retirement accounts when in fact the greatest thing we need to be building is the wealth in heavens and our greater faith in him. We get life insurance because we're trying to, to anticipate our death when in fact God's telling us to trust in him. It's all these games of the, of the mortal world. And instead of just laying our life down before him and saying, I walk with you and be with you and open that up, which is easier said than done. But nonetheless, that process is the process in every step that we make of constantly trying to lay our life down before him, to let us guide him and to release ourselves from this world. Then it's there that we start to appreciate ultimately that deeper message of what, we're, of what he's trying to get us to see. And I think that deeper message is very, very well articulated within the, the final pieces of Habakkuk, when Habakkuk says, you have trampled on the sea with your horses on the surge of many waters. I heard and my whole inner self trembled. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay and rottenness enter my bones and I tremble in my place because I must wait quietly for the day of distress for the people to arise who will invade and attack us. This is the era that we're in right now with all of these people coming across the border. And it goes on to say, though the fig tree does not blossom and there is no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive fails and the fields produce no food, though the flock is cut from the fold and there is no cattle in the stalls, you I will choose to rejoice in the Lord. 
I will choose to shout in exultation in the victorious God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, my source of courage, my invincible army. He has made my feet steady and sure like hinds feet and makes my walk forward with spiritual confidence on my high places of challenge and responsibility. Our choice ultimately becomes our father in a most profound way to understand that with all of this and with all the trials, everything is about turning back to him. And as we do and we strip ourselves of the sins which we do, repenting becomes a daily process of repenting and repenting quickly to get back up, understanding that we've been given the gift here of eternal life and that in this world we have become subject to the fallen world, which consumes us literally with sin. We have to get ourselves reset and stepping back into the fight so that we can be closer to the throne. Those that walk as we do, that powerful walk that we're on right now ultimately leads us to a more profound understanding of who we really are. And in that moment, we start to realize that as the children of the Most High, we are not slaves, but we are truly the princes and priests of the world that need to now step in in the greatest rescue mission of all time. On Patriots, today we're going to do some closing prayers for a couple of things. We need to put prayers for what's going on down at the border. We need to go prayers to see a great salvation happening down there, to lift up the hearts. There is true threat down there on the border. It's very real. There's infiltrators coming in that they're doing a good job of of breaking away, but there's also spiritual infiltrators that are there that have portals open to some of the most demonic things. People that we would, people we have to be aware of that need Christ in their life, that are trying to attack those that are standing with Christ in their life. So let us pray. Father God, who's come to you today very humbled. And in this moment in time, we're just going to extend our prayers for all that are down there on the border. And this, we lift up Pete Chambers today, who is leading this effort as a mighty man in God, who is truly rallying the troops as a tactical element, and his strategic operations both are coming together to keep people safe. But we also pray a hedge of protection around Pete for the spiritual attacks that are subtle, the ones he can't see, the ambushes that come from places you least expect. Father, we ask that a, a set of war angels wraps around him and that his heart is protected. And that is also one to keep those at bay, that he can see with eyes of clarity that those that are trying to maneuver on him that carry with them dark spirits, that be it a Jezebel spirit or be it a spirit of, of some sort of malintent to try to uproot and destroy the patriot movement. And some of these people are being used as agents of darkness when they don't even realize they are, but they're wounded. They have influence and they have impact. So, Father, we just pray a hedge of protection around Pete and a hedge of protection around that movement to lift up their hearts in this moment of time, to step away from their their mortal place in the world and step into a greater kingdom view, to see this world in a more mighty way and to feel the power of Holy Spirit fall within them. For those that are walking with brokenness, let them seek that salvation which rests there and is there, is calling them. This is part of the reason they're there. For those that have come with malice in their heart, let them be turned away, or let them be submitted to the feet of Christ to be resaved and be delivered from the darkness that they walk. Father, let this be a moment of great revival, and we bless Rod, Pastor Rod Parker, who is setting up tent revivals down there to bring people to Jesus, to, sell, to save them and to deliver them into the greater kingdom. 
we pray for the resources and power that he needs to continue to expand out that, that mission. We pray for the, him to have the eyes to see, to be able to identify as a protector of the faith down there, as a stalwart defender of the faith, walking alongside people like Pete Chambers to identify those threats and intercede. And so, Father, we also bless this, the entire border region, that the deception of what is going on be revealed and that the truth what this movement represents be, ex- be established and that, this, that the line of protection across this nation be built, not just on the physical wall, but on the spiritual wall of creating a nation, of, a mighty wall along that border in which anybody that comes here with evil in their heart will be disarmed and brought into a nation humbled before the throne. Father, this is a greater step right now in the greater vision of the nation, that truly what we are doing in this moment in time is we are we're praying into a nation to seal and protect its borders, to prevent the invaders from coming in with malice in their heart. We're also praying across this nation right now for the restoration of this nation and the heart of the nation, to be able to humble ourselves before the throne, to truly be able to, to, <clears throat> to say in a moment like this, that we are a one nation under God, that the awakening of the body of Christ comes and it awakens us truly as a country of God where people worship and humble themselves and understand that the true sense of where we are is not the pursuit of wealth, but the pursuit of a greater spiritual existence. And together we raise that up together. That in this time we have to stand against the dark evil side by side. And in so doing, defeat this evil and cast it out forevermore. To root out the corruption, to root out the broken hearts, to to recruit or to root out the worst of the worst, those that have literally waged war against the people and innocence to harm them and destroy them. So, Father, this is a prayer of mercy upon this nation as judgment falls. As we enter into an age of accountability, may everyone be held accountable in this moment in time. And may everyone have a, a vision and experience with Christ himself in a single moment in time. Something so deep and so stirring that no one can step away from the reality of whom we serve. And in that moment, we will watch transformation. And so we declare all these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. So, Patriots. Keep your prayers up for those down on the border. Keep your prayers up for those that need prayer, especially those that have been injured by the vax. Continue to reach out and lift up. Find time to break bread with your neighbor. This is a good time to do it. Build your communities. It's critical now. This isn't about a war of steel. This is ultimately about a war of the spirit. And the war of the spirit is what will transform this world, especially when we win and put those eyes back on God. Keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God always wins. But we are here in this time and this place for just such a time as this. We are at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tonight for Bards FM. Until then or until the next time, God bless and out for now. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. Every thoughtful citizen who despairs of war and wishes to bring peace should begin by looking inward by examining his own attitude towards the possibilities of peace. 
Too many of us think it is impossible. Too many think it is unreal. But that is a dangerous, defeatist belief. It leads to the conclusion that war is inevitable, that mankind is doomed, that we are gripped by forces we cannot control. We need not accept that view. Our problems are man-made. Therefore, they can be solved by man, and man can be as big as he wants. No problem of human destiny is beyond human beings. Man's reason and spirit have often solved the seemingly unsolvable, and we believe they can do it again. Surely the opening vistas of space promise high costs and hardships, as well as high reward. So it is not surprising that some would have us stay where we are a little longer, to rest, to wait. But this city of Houston, this state of Texas, this country of the United States was not built by those who waited and rested and wished to look behind them. This country was conquered by those who moved forward, and so will space. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept. The energy, the faith, the devotion, which we bring to this endeavor will light our country and all who serve it. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. thousands of years to show its face. It has only one intent, to destroy God's light and to enslave. It has no scruples. It has no rules but one, to win at any cost. But we will never bow, for we are the remnant that will hold the line. This is war. We fight. We push, we climb, we never give in, we become the nightmare that evil didn't know could exist. We pray, we stand, we live by the words, in God we trust, we fear nothing, we are the light that can never be extinguished. We are patriots. We are the digital army that will help deliver God's wrath. 